0: It's episode 79 of Off Script with Trish Close. Intimate interviews and fun conversations with interesting people. In front of my microphone today, I have Jim Maddox, who just told me he's retired with a capital R. That's lovely, isn't it? It's
1: a great feeling.
0: Yeah. When did you retire?
1: Uh, About uh, two years ago, a little more than two years ago.
0: Okay, nice. If if
1: I'd known it was going to be this great, I'd have done it 50 (laughs) years ago. (laughs)
0: You know, I've heard that a lot. I'm married to a firefighter, and they all say that. They say, man, if I could have gone... I could have gone earlier. I should have. Yeah. I yeah. should have retired sooner. What is it about retirement you love so much?
1: Um, it's dawned on me it, it, how people that work get things done. <laughs> I mean, working a 40- or 50-hour week yeah. and getting the dogs to the vet and the car fixed and running to Costco to pick up pies for Thanksgiving and you know, don't forget the mail. And what about the grandkids? You know, I mean, it's just mad. My
0: parents say the same thing. I don't know how we did all this before.
1: I, 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 it's, it's a solid week.
0: Uh-huh. And you so think, you feel for me then? Because I very have a full-time so. job. I have, I have multiple full-time jobs, right? I have work. I have the house. I have my relationships.
1: Absolutely. It's a lot. No. And, and I can understand why people at 7 o'clock at night get home or whatever mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. are whipped. Because yeah. it's a full day.
0: I, that's why I drink yeah. wine. That's dude. right. Wine is good. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you from originally?
1: I'm a military brat. I'm mm-hmm. an, my dad was an Air Force General. Actually, I was born in Japan.
0: Whoa, Air Force General. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I was, honcho. I was born in Japan. My dad was a full colonel when I was born. And uh, it bounced around all over Hekengon mm-hmm. in the Air Force. And then when I finished school, I went into the Air Force okay. and then stayed in government service. So,
0: um, Where in Japan were you born? In Tokyo. How long were you guys there?
1: Uh, about a year and a half after oh, I was born. I've got okay. some pictures of myself with uh, what's called an ama, which was like a nanny uh, mm. that essentially cared for me when I was a little baby
0: um your dad was you said a corporal when you were born
1: a a colonel.
0: a colonel i'm sorry colonel colonel um what did he do in the air force
1: he was a pilot a bomber pilot in world war ii and then he uh as things moved on and he Mm -hmm. progressed uh we were let me see if i can recall we went from Japan to Alabama, he went to school, then he went to Washington DC to the Pentagon. Then he went to San Antonio to Randolph Air Force Base in San Antonio. Then we went to Mather Air Force Base in Sacramento. Then Dad went, I'm trying to think. Dad ended up in Korea. Mm Uh, with the United Nations. And that is when my family moved to Medford. This is where my grandparents lived, my mother's parents. So Medford was the only civilian community that we knew. Hmm. But after dad's assignment in Korea, we went to Hawaii, which was great. Mm -hmm. I was in middle school. Then we ended up in the Philippines where I finished high school. Oh my gosh. Then we went back to Hawaii I stayed and went to the University of Hawaii, and then when I graduated, I went into the Air Force Mm -hmm. and did school, and then a tour in Vietnam, then back to Hawaii, then to Korea, then back to school, and then my last assignment was in Alaska.
0: You've been all over the place. Why, you know, and I've, um, a lot of people, like, yeah, I was a military brat, so that automatically means you've lived everywhere for the most part. Is that because the person who is in the military is taking different positions uh-huh. He's being they're required to
1: reassigned every three or four years
0: what is the reasoning for the reassignments
1: uh, I think just moving and diversifying their experience giving okay. them command experience whatever their job might be whether okay. it's aircraft maintenance or to, to senior leadership they move people around so they but don't the get stale. But the military
0: requires that. Right. Or is it, Okay, cuz it's not necessarily a choice for No,
1: no, you go you where gotta. you're told. <laughs> you go where you're told. Yes, sir. Yeah. Right? Exactly.
0: So, a bomber pilot during World War II.
1: Mhm.
0: Wow. Did he tell you stories about that?
1: He did a little bit, but he I was, gonna, was he, talk about he it? was reserved. Mm-hmm. Um he was in the Philippines actually when World War II started and danced down to ended up in Australia and then Stayed in the Pacific Theater for the bulk of World War II, wow. and then um, ended up in Japan with the occupation forces after the war was over. Mm-hmm. And my mother was with the first group of dependent wives that got to go to Japan in 1947. Okay,
0: okay. The, um, during World War II, the force that we had as the united states in the air played such a huge
1: role yeah, yeah.
0: during that war i mean you look back at some of the battles and oh,
1: it's staggering right i i'm pleased to say that my namesake my first name is jim james i was named for three of my dad's contemporaries uh, travis air force base down near san francisco is a guy named jimmy travis There was an Air Force base in Waco, Texas, called James Mm Connolly, And then the third is the one I'm probably most proud of, a contemporary of my dad, or my dad was a contemporary of his, was General Doolittle, Jimmy Doolittle. Mm -hmm. So I've got James's through those three officers, and I'm very proud of that.
0: So what was it like growing up with a general?
1: Uh, It's funny that you ask. I've often thought that I could write the stories of the pros and cons, there were there were there were some fabulously good things, some terrible things. It was like being the mayor's son wherever yeah. we were assigned. So people knew who you were
0: before and if he ever you got the door. if you
1: got in trouble, you were in a lot of trouble yeah, and uh, by the same token um, there were some privileges that were extended because mm-hmm. of my father, not certainly not because of my brother and I, but I can remember uh somebody picking a fight because I was the general's kid mm-hmm. when I was in grade school or something and my brother interceding and breaking up a fight and I remember going home and saying why why am i being picked on because of my dad and mm-hmm. my mother trying to explain that to me but there were there were some great positive stories um one i can relate Quickly, I think, when I was in Vietnam, I was a lieutenant, and I wrote home to my mom and Mm -hmm. said, you know, it's hot as the Dickens, and if I only had an air conditioner. Well, my mother, being who she was, went to Sears, bought an air conditioner, and rather than ship it to Lieutenant Maddox in Vietnam, we had friends who were generals, contemporaries of my dad. So my mom ships this air conditioner from San Antonio, Texas, (laughs) to Saigon, addressed to a general friend of ours. Nice. Uh, And in comes this air conditioner for a general. Well, the general was kind of an uncle in my life. Sure. So the general called my boss and said, can I grab Lieutenant Maddox for a couple of minutes? And we went and picked up this air conditioner and then took it to my little hooch Mm -hmm. and installed this air conditioner. Well, if the air conditioner had been sent to Lieutenant Maddox, it would have disappeared, I'm afraid. Sure, sure. So the fact that it was addressed to this general and I ultimately got it was by virtue of my dad and his his relationship with other generals.
0: A couple of dummy questions on my end. Mm -hmm. What's a hooch?
1: was my, where your, I lived. Okay. In, I mean, uh, they called it hooch. It was called a hooch. It was, <laughs> it was your, it was your barracks. It was, okay. it wasn't much.
0: So you were living in a hooch I with other gonna, people, just you. Oh
1: no, there were, oh gosh.
0: Cause I know barracks. It's there were
1: multiple. two, yeah, there were two floors. Um, I don't know. There probably were 18 of us in a building. Okay. And uh, our rooms were about the size of this desk. Yeah a bed and a dresser and well, that was it. when you're
0: in the military during war times, really, that's all you need, right?
1: It Really, it was.
0: Um, and then contemporary, what does that mean?
1: Uh, uh, someone that my father worked with. Uh, so okay. when I say a contemporary of yeah. my dad, someone that he associated with. Okay. So the people you work with in the newsroom are your contemporaries? I'm
0: learning something. I thought that was a military term. No, no, no. no okay, think, yeah, interesting. I'm gonna start calling them my contemporaries. Dipperies. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Like, thank folks. you, Jim. Like folks. Okay, um, I have a feeling you're gonna teach me a lot during this <laughs> podcast. So you, so what did mom do?
1: Mom was great. Mom was uh, versatile. Um, funny stories about my mom. She had her pilot's license. Wow. She was raised in Southern California. She had her pilot's license before my father had ever seen an airplane. Boom. So my mother was flying when she was 16 years old. And she was could, the original
0: boss, wasn't she? She was the
1: original pilot. So she had her pilot's license before my dad had ever seen an airplane.
0: That's so funny.
1: Yeah. Uh, Mom was extremely versatile. She could... Uh, she could change the oil in the car. Mm. she built build a boat when we were in Hawaii uh, in the garage, and a wooden boat. Uh, she could do that, and in the evening she could put on a tie silk dress and entertain an ambassador or a prime minister. I remember mm. in the Philippines um, that the, the entertainment demands were, yeah. were tremendous. Mom was gracious and comfortable. She was uh, charming. Um, uh, I, the the good qualities I have in my life with people come from my mother.
0: Nice, nice. You know? What a lady. Yeah,
1: yeah. She was she was a, a delight. She was tough. Spoke her mind. Very clear. Raised mm-hmm. uh, kids well. Um, had her standards. Didn't let us deviate too far I love that and um, but she would know the gas station attendant on a first name basis and his wife and their Mm. kids as much as she would know you know as they say an ambassador a general or somebody of that caliber
0: um how did your parents meet do you know
1: dad was a pilot in There was a base in Southern California at March at Riverside, March Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. And he was ferrying bombers to Hawaii, this was before the war, and uh, shuttling airplanes out to the Pacific. Well, Dad was quite a golfer and played golf apparently at a club in in Southern California. Mm -hmm. Met a gentleman who happened to have a daughter. Mm. And dad was a tall, handsome, good-looking, young military pilot. Right. And uh, my grandfather said, you know, I have a daughter that maybe you'd like to meet. So my grandfather introduced my dad to my mom in Southern California. The rest is history.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Um, Did they have that love of, you know, pilot, of...
1: Not so much. My mother, you know, let her pilot's license lapse as she sure. as she got older, but mom knew airplanes very well. That's so and awesome. she could talk, you know
0: She could talk flying. with the best of she them. She could right? talk
1: flying, yeah.
0: That's so awesome. Yeah. Was, so you have a you said you have a brother?
1: I have an older brother, Mike. Okay, Mike. He lives in Hawaii. Okay. Which is where I really kind of call home because yeah. my formidable years were raised there. And uh Mike's 75 years old just had a birthday and uh, does absolutely nothing in hawaii and he's happy doing just that perfect yeah
0: what do you looking back being a young kid all over the world really bouncing around from place to place Uh what do you feel like you learned from that experience
1: i think i think there's a theme that military brats tend to share and that was you had to make friends quickly Sure. Because your classmates might be with you for as short as a year, maybe as long mm-hmm. as three years. So you had to hit the ground running. Right. So when you walked into a new school, you had to be friendly and personable immediately. Immediately. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to get involved, you had to get involved immediately. You mm-hmm. didn't have the luxury of sort of feeling out your classmates and things like that. For sure. So kids, I think military kids, by and large are pretty personable and pretty forthright. Mm -hmm. I can tell when I meet somebody almost that they have been in the military, military background of some sort.
0: Um, I've interviewed someone who, kind of very similar, moved all over the place, a military brat, Um, and he actually mentioned he didn't have a whole lot of really good friends growing up, those ones that last decades.
1: Yeah, you think about students, youngsters Mm -hmm. here in Medford Mm -hmm. I mean 12 years with the same people by and large they go off to school and college by and large they've come back here to establish their careers Mm -hmm. I could I can't tell you any classmate I ever had that I'm in touch with today Mm -hmm. Um, I mean we scattered to the four winds for sure yeah you were all over the
0: place Uh, what were you like in high school
1: um Boy, that's a good question. I was personable, I think. Uh, Did I you play was, sports? I played sports, I played soccer and tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, I had two years of high school in Hawaii right. at a boys' school and then my last two years in the Philippines. Philippines. So we didn't have football, per se. Right. Uh, I wasn't big enough anyway. But soccer and tennis were great sports to play. Um, I, I think I was involved. I was like the prom chairman one year. And um, gosh, so I think I got involved in some yeah. activities.
0: Well, and again, like you said, bouncing around all over the place, you kind of have to be, you have, yeah. you have to get involved. You have
1: to step up. You do. Is really you really do. It
0: um, you decided to go into the Air Force after high school. Why? Was there any sort of influence from dad or mom?
1: It was actually after college. Oh, I, spent, college. I'm I, sp- sorry. I spent four years at the University of Hawaii, and That's my right. degree was in Asian studies. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to that period of time, that was 65 to 69 was when I was in college. Okay. So I graduated in 1969. Having lived in Hawaii and in the Philippines and my dad's involvement, mm-hmm. the war in Vietnam was really ramping up
0: really, yeah. in the
1: Pacific. So it was, it was pretty clear that if you were going into the military uh, at that period of time mm-hmm. where you were headed, uh, mm-hmm. I don't think dad had a lot of influence. He was pleased to know I was going into the Air Force okay. as opposed to the Army or the Navy or the Marine Corps. <sighs> Uh um, that was e- that was an easy choice. Um but uh it was it was not a difficult decision for me to make. It was what I knew and it was the career because path of that was headed. the war? I think the I think a, I think a combination of experience mm-hmm. uh, knowing what the war was all about uh, from sure. as early as 1960. Mm-hmm. I began to read, and my father was pretty influential about saying, you will learn about what is going on in Southeast Asia. So as early as 1960, I remember reading books like Street Without Joy, which was about the French involvement in Vietnam, and and then in school, learning Asian cultures and Asian politics. Right. And it began to see very deep with me.
0: Very, it's... Kind of polar opposites. If you look at the conflict, World War II, you had you had men basically signing up. Right, they weren't even old enough to right. to, to, to fight. But they, they wanted to. They wanted to. Like that was a very yeah, big deal. Yeah. And then that all changed in the late '60s. Right. I mean, you had absolutely guys heading no, out of America Viet, because they Vietnam.
1: Didn't go. Vietnam might get goosebumps even thinking about that period what, of time. Why is that? Well. The country was so divided. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had classmates in college that were protesters and picket and things like that. And so, you know, saying I was going to go into the military, you know, created a little stress and strain on some Mm -hmm. of those relationships. Um, I think coming back after Vietnam was particularly stressful. I mean, I went to Hawaii and I just remember that being a military officer was not a great thing to be in 1970.
0: Right, which was yeah. different than
1: Very different. Right. Now, fortunately in retrospect, you look at the military veterans that have you know, Middle Eastern experience that are coming back. Mm-hmm. People applaud them. People, they get priority seating on airplanes today. Right. People stand up thank and, goodness, right? and thank them for their service. Right. It's such a difference. And uh, I'm, I'm pleased to see that the military veterans now are getting their, right. their due respect.
0: I mean, and if you look at it, bottom line, you don't necessarily have to agree with, the involvement right that the u.s has in any sort of conflict yeah but you do have to look at these men and women who are um choosing to go do this absolutely
1: it's an all-voluntary military force and
0: whether you're in the air or you're on the front lines or you're fixing an airplane or i mean everybody this is a sacrifice
1: and the number of people that say thank you for your service Mm -hmm. You know, right? And that that really resonates, yeah. even even someone as old as I am. But the, but the 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 youngsters, the mm-hmm. ones that have been involved, like I say, in in the Middle East, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their services paramount.
0: I mean, if you look at you know a lot of these guys, uh, men and women are doing deployments overseas now, you know, three and four uh, times they're I going know. over. That's time away from your family. Absolutely. I mean, I just I, and again, if it's like. If you don't really see the action when you're overseas, right. if you're doing other things, again, you're, that's still time away from your family. I
1: think I think it's a good point to underscore the military families. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the wives that keep the home front, the the husbands. If the wife is deployed overseas, the husband that becomes the house dad. Right uh, they deserve all the credit and support we can give them.
0: It's a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, my husband's a firefighter. He works 24 hour shifts and just those 24 hours he's gone. It's a lot. I can't imagine every single day no. for what? Nine yeah. months. Yeah. Or a, mean, yeah, a, year? a year. Yeah. Oh boy. The stress. And they have little kids and yeah. jobs and
1: no, it's,
0: it's a lot. The military families
1: deserve really a tremendous do. amount of support.
0: Right. Just even a little bit of awareness from yeah. others. Too. Yeah. Um, so you're in, uh, you joined the Air Force. You're in, you said Saigon? At one I was, point? yeah,
1: I was primarily based in Saigon.
0: Okay. What were you doing?
1: I was an intelligence officer.
0: Ooh. Ooh. Fun. Fun. Like, what does that mean? What
1: uh, did you do? I did. Can you tell me? <laughs> uh, sure. I did. Uh, I did some interrogation work. I did some analysis work. Uh I ended up uh for a part of the tour at the command post, the the hub, mm-hmm. all the big screens in the background and people with telephones and Fun. that was kinda crazy. And then toward the end I got I became a briefing officer, which was essentially a news reporter. Okay. And stood in front of senior officers and reported the news. Interesting. And you had to be sort of blessed in order to do that you they didn't just you had to audition and get screen oh, okay. and make sure you didn't deviate from the script and you
0: looked good and you looked good and you, and you, good well. and you
1: mm-hmm. could say I'm sorry sir I don't have that answer but we will get you an answer wow. so that that um a lot of people are quite afraid of being on air or speaking in public Mm -hmm. and uh, i i didn't have any problem with that because the senior officers that i were talking Mm -hmm. was talking to were like my dad i mean i was Mm -hmm. used to being around some of those senior people
0: so reporting the news meaning reporting like what was happening the intelligence news gotcha okay and do you had a script for that? Did you write it, or did someone else write it?
1: We wrote it early in the morning. Uh-huh. and this the briefings began about six o'clock for the intelligence staff. and then it got edited along the way, what mm-hmm. we should or shouldn't take put in or take out. And then, as I recall, there was another briefing at seven, and then at seven thirty, was in front of the the very senior, the the generals in charge.
0: So the generals in charge, if there was something that they wanted to know, were they privy to everything, or were there certain things uh-huh. that, like I can't answer that for you? Or
1: no, we used what was called all source intelligence. Okay. We had access to everything we could find. Okay. And uh, there was material that. Um, We could brief. There was material that could only be read. You couldn't speak it. Right. So I carried around a big black book every morning that was very sensitive and had a pistol on my hip and a little briefcase. And I would go to the general's office and open the book, and they would read those reports and initial off on them.
0: Wow, and, uh, Jim. Yeah. yeah, That's was big ki- time.
1: Well, it was kind of fun. It was kind of fun. So
0: you said you did interrogation too. Uh-huh. Um, inter- Who would you interrogate?
1: Well, we through Vietnamese interpreters. I mean, right. I didn't speak Vietnamese. Okay. But there would be information we would want to know. We, the U.S. Air Force, would want to know. Okay. And if the South Vietnamese had captured someone that we thought might have information, we would sit and have a little discussion. A
0: little chat? A little
1: chat. A nice chat or a not Eh, nice chat? Sometimes it was maybe a little stronger than a chat.
0: Okay like you have to be aggressive right?
1: Well you have to be pretty forceful and understand that that depending on the subject and how urgent information was needed Mm -hmm. uh, the intensity of some of those conversations got interesting got pretty powerful.
0: Well I'm sure Um, there and there are interviewers out there that they have different methods obviously of how you pull something out of someone
1: absolutely and
0: there are some really good ones that can just kind of walk in casually and they get all the information they're looking for i use
1: i use a good example if i said um, uh, i know that you're from south carolina uh if i said who who was the quarterback at uh clemson Mm -hmm. uh when you were in high school Mm -hmm, and you told me the name of the quarterback what I'm really wanting to know is how old you are okay so I won't ask you how old you are I'll ask you who was the quarterback at Clemson and you'll say well in my senior year of high school
0: it was so
1: and so was the quarterback now I can I can piece it together and Give or take a year, I can hit the nail on the head.
0: And you don't have to ask. And I don't have to ask. So it's asking questions to figure out the answers to other questions. Right, right. That's it's pretty knowing, brilliant. It's knowing
1: how to circle around the, mm-hmm. the direct question. I'm
0: not that quick. <laughs> <laughs> I just come out and ask. Yeah. How old are you? When were yeah, you born? Well, yeah, when were you born? Right, yeah. right. Um, I think that's, you know. You it, want,
1: it depends on the setting.
0: Sure. You know. For Sure. Um, I don't think I've ever been subtle in my question asking. (laughs) I just come out. You know, um, in college, we actually, one of my professors showed an interview Charlie Rose did with a musician, I think a jazz musician. And the whole point is that you could tell she was very nervous. Very, Uh, very nervous. And he, being Charlie Rose, just calmed her down and started asking her a couple of questions to really just calm her down. Made her laugh at one point. And then before you knew it, she was just spilling her guts to him. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's quite a skill. It is a skill. It's a real skill. I I really do think. And part of that, we'll get back on track, when you're interviewing someone and even talking conversation, you have to be a good listener, too. Yeah. Because if you're not listening.
1: interesting that's the answer to one of the questions you asked me.
0: Okay, we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. So how long were you in Saigon?
1: Uh, Just a year.
0: Just a year. And then what do you do after that? I
1: shouldn't say just Just, a year. Just. A full year. A
0: full year. But I I also want to just highlight, you were really in the thick of this conflict, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, I was there 70 to 71. Mm -hmm. Uh, The war was still pretty intense. I mean, we were doing a lot of activity.
0: But just being with intelligence, it just, you know, that's kind of where decisions are happening. yeah it it was
1: very satisfying Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll put it to you that way it was it was it was very satisfying to be very very involved with and to know all that we did
0: satisfying meaning you were making decisions I wasn't
1: making decisions but I was in that loop I mean it was it was fulfilling that Mm -hmm. my skills were being applied
0: perfect and that
1: that's a in my definition, a great job.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like it. In any job, if you feel like you're contributing,
1: right. That's that's exactly how I felt. Okay. And I was, you know, I was 23 years old and right. a young lieutenant or a junior and captain. And the news.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you after that, where do you go?
1: I went to the Joint Command in Hawaii. Okay. Um,
0: so back home, kind of. Back
1: kind of home. I mean, two years after I graduated from college, I was right back at the same mm-hmm. beaches. You know, two years later. Um, and that was a good assignment. Um, to be honest, the first year after coming back, uh, we were very, very busy work-wise. And socially, I couldn't step forward. I mean, you would think a, a young mm-hmm. bachelor military officer sure. in Hawaii would be pretty outgoing I couldn't quite do that it took me about a year before actually I had a date uh, after coming back why
0: is that I think just
1: I think the stresses and strains Mm -hmm. it was it was um I don't know I mean it was just difficult to want to be too terribly social
0: sure and I'm sure probably being in this environment for a year you know, this is your every single day. When yeah. you come back, all of that has changed. Yeah. The people you interact with, where you live. No,
1: the residual hangover effect. Sure. Is, and that's PTSD now in mm-hmm. its finest. Do
0: you, you think know? you were going through that a little bit? I think
1: so. I, I think so. I mean, I, it was a little bit of a withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Understand the the protests were still ongoing. Oh, man. Um
0: so in every day you're essentially hearing that you've you've been involved in something that's wrong from other people's yeah, opinion yeah. you know
1: and you know being a shaved head short haired Military officer mm-hmm. in the early '70s when things were long hair and beards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you stood out. I was going to say, you, did you just you, stick out. A oh yeah, of you. I mean, pe- <laughs> people pegged you pretty quick. Oh
0: for sure. Yeah. What were what was your um, rank at this point?
1: I was a captain.
0: A captain. I became a okay. captain. Yeah. Um, and I think too, just hitting on PTSD, post traumatic stress comes in all different forms. Absolutely. You don't have to be in the thick of bombs going off around oh, no. you. To suffer from PTSD,
1: right? So Absolutely.
0: It comes know, in it a lot traumatic. of different forms. I just wanted very to, much so wanted to throw that out there. Um, I'm going to pause for a second. Okay. We're getting ready for the noon show. Okay. As you can see, so I'm going to go turn down those speakers really All quick. All right. Okay, we're back. We had to turn down those speakers, so right. I can, it's not distracting. That'll be a little distracting, I mean, that's but that's okay. Right. Getting ready for the noon show today. Um, so in Hawaii, what are you doing at this point? You're still with the Air Force. I'm
1: still in the intelligence business, okay. probably the most fulfilling job, and I've, I've given talks on it. The war was winding down, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I had assignments in Taiwan and temporary assignments in various places but the most fulfilling thing was called operation homecoming which was the repatriation of the pw's Hmm. out of hanoi Hmm. and that occurred uh that ramped up in the fall as i recall of like 1972 right and then in february of 73 is when we brought prisoners back out of hanoi and that was a Big big operation. I escorted two pilots back out of Hanoi, and uh,
0: these are American
1: American pilots. Yeah, mm-hmm. that had been PWS mm-hmm. and prisoners uh, of yeah. war. Okay, and that was very very heartwarming and fulfilling.
0: Right. Um, and you can't even imagine what some of them. Oh no, had gone no, through. No no no. How long were they in? Hanoi? Well, some of them. The
1: one pilot I brought back was an F one hundred and five pilot, Mm -hmm. a guy named Ron Bliss. Ron has since died of cancer, unfortunately. Uh, Ron was a prisoner for about five and a half years. Wow. Yeah.
0: Can you imagine? And
1: uh, a guy named Everett Alvarez is the longest PW, and Alvarez was a prisoner for more than seven years.
0: So your job consisted of what, bringing them back and helping them back into... Yeah,
1: it's it's a good question what our job was. The first and foremost job was to make sure they were squared away, that they didn't have any mental issues, physical Mm -hmm. issues, those kinds of problems. Mm -hmm. Um, From an intelligence point of view, we wanted to debrief, if you will, interrogate. That's probably not the right word, but debrief these individuals to see if there were other U.S. individuals That were left behind. Mm. And Ron was a good example. Ron was what was called a memory bank. So he had memorized names, dates, service, and where they were located, where someone had seen them alive. So they might say, Trish, US Navy, Mm -hmm. Medford, Oregon, you know. November 2019. Wow. So that verified that you were seen alive at that date at that place. So if you weren't a part of the repatriation, the begging question is what happened?
0: For sure. For sure. And there was a lot of people unaccounted for. Yeah. Regretfully. Yeah. Um, And he was a memory bank. He was a memory bank.
1: The first when we met, I mean, we rendezvoused in the Philippines and he was in the hospital, and I went in and introduced myself. And Ron was very square. He said, "I know we need to talk about a lot of things, but I need to download, if you will, what's in my mind." And we had tape recorders. And so Ron and I sat in a hospital room, and he just went through the list. I mean, it oh, took Ron. about an hour. Oh, thank and, goodness, and, for and, Ron, tape, right? and tape recorded it. And now we could correlate people that had come out. To those that maybe were left behind,
0: and did you recover some of these people?
1: No, I, I'm at this point, I'm pretty comfortable saying that uh, there were, there was no one left behind mm-hmm. alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, in my opinion, there was no reason for the North Vietnamese to have kept anybody behind. Okay. The the repercussions of of having kept somebody a prisoner and at some future date that being found out Mm -hmm. would have been very devastating so i think all that were alive and all that could come out did indeed come out in that short period of that window
0: um so you had the privilege to um help two pw's
1: the second fellow was a guy named bill mayall and bill was a b-52 navigator that had been shot down in december of 72 Mm -hmm. and released in february of 73 so bill didn't have to i mean Mm -hmm. he had traumatic experiences heaven knows but not for an extended period
0: okay what did you do after that you're still with the air force i'm
1: still in the air force after the tour in hawaii i volunteered for another assignment to korea Mm -hmm. and at that point in time i began to work Somewhat in conjunction with the National Security Agency. Okay. Had a great assignment in Korea. Uh, was stationed at an Air Force base. But a lot of our mission was more dedicated to, to what was called signals intelligence. What's that? Headphones and listening.
0: Oh. Listening to who?
1: The bad guys.
0: Nice. Man. Yeah. Fun stuff. Whoever the
1: bad guys were. Okay. Yeah.
0: In, I mean, you're trying to figure out who the bad guys are. Oh you no, know? we
1: we. I mean, it was North Korea and China. Okay. And and some Soviet activity. Okay. And uh, after the Korea assignment was very good. I, I mm-hmm. have a fondness for the Korean people. The, their military is second to none. Mm. Tough, hard, mm-hmm. focused. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are they are quite serious.
0: Um, you were listening to, what, like phone conversations or? Anything we could get. Anything. Very interesting if you look at what's happening now in, oh, yeah. in our country. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, the any way you can communicate could be intercepted. Our mm-hmm. conversation, two people talking, mm-hmm. can somebody get in the middle of that? Right. Absolutely.
0: Do you think someone's listening to this conversation right now? Possibly. They could be. Whoever they are. Right. Somewhere. They're either fascinated or very bored
1: Bored. one or the other (laughs) probably bored
0: what were you listening for um were there keywords yeah I mean
1: I knew I I didn't speak Chinese I mean I had a little bit of Chinese knowledge um you know the joke was what did you listen for you know like launch the missile (laughs) drop the bomb (laughs) <laughs> you know, a couple, couple of key phrases <laughs> that yeah. uh, usually set people off. Ugh. No, we were just gathering information, okay. whatever we could. And we played games. And after the Korea assignment, I went to cryptology school. And that was in Texas. I remember the sign on the building. It said the United States School for Advanced Applied Cryptologic Sciences. Now, you I'll put all those big words on the side of a building, and you've yeah. got a pretty powerful entrance.
0: Very specific also. Very, yeah.
1: So crypto school was in Texas. and uh, What
0: is crypto school?
1: Cryptology, um, codes. Okay. Uh, and that was done kind of the the military and the relationship with, like, the National Security Agency was – The NSA pulled people from the military services Mm -hmm. as a manpower pool. Mm -hmm. So administratively, we were Air Force. Operationally, NSA pulled the strings.
0: Okay, wow.
1: So after code school, I went, my assignment with the agency was to Anchorage, Alaska.
0: And this was with NSA?
1: This was with NSA Slash the U.S. Air Force. Because,
0: again, you're, yeah, you're still in the Air Force. Yeah. Where are you in Alaska?
1: At Elmendorf Air Force Base in Anchorage.
0: Anchorage. A um, little different than Hawaii?
1: A little different from Hawaii. I think Quite so. a bit. Yeah. Big country, big people, big cars, big trucks, big dogs. Everything was big. Big. The weather was big. Uh, That's a
0: very interesting way to describe. My, my meteorologist, Milton. Okay. is from Alaska. Okay. He lived in Alaska for a, a while. Um, but I will, I will mention that yeah. to them. Everything it's was big. big.
1: Everything's big. The weather's big. It doesn't just snow. The mountains are big. It snows big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a tough assignment in that we worked 24 hours a day. So I had five teams. Okay. And the schedule was you worked four swing shifts, got off at midnight, had 24 hours off, came back to work at midnight, mm-hmm. worked four mid-shifts, midnight to eight, okay. four in a row, got off work at eight in the morning, had 24 hours off, came back to work at eight in the morning, and worked four days, eight to four, Ugh. four days in a row and then you got off at four and then you had four days off. Oh man. So it was called a four-one-four-one-four-four one, four, one, four, four schedule.
0: Sounds like a firefighter schedule. Right,
1: you take that sort of schedule and you overlay the environment in Alaska, right. where you didn't see the sun, or you saw too much sun. Right. And
0: Did you f- go cuckoo? The
1: physiological effects were very profound. The hardest job I had in Alaska was personnel issues. Personnel. Because, I mean, people, their schedules got thrown off. Yeah. Like I say, physiologically, you got thrown off. Mm-hmm. There were all kinds of Problems. When you
0: don't sleep for a while, when you're overtired, you, you turn into like a toddler. Uh-huh.
1: And you become a, a zombie. I mean, you really yeah. sort of just go through the motions.
0: Right. And you can't. I mean, there's just, we, we need yeah. sleep as yeah. humans. Yeah. We have to have I mean, that.
1: Look at, look at firefighters exactly. that work long, long yeah. shifts.
0: Man. Yeah. So uh, you were in charge of these people, obviously. I had,
1: I had uh, some responsibility over a lot of them.
0: How long did you do that shift?
1: Uh, I did it myself for just a year and then I fortunately because of my rank Mm -hmm. uh, moved into a different function up there.
0: And what were you doing on this on this space?
1: We were doing a lot of the analytical work okay. of what we were, what the intelligence we were gathering. So
0: code school came in handy. Code
1: school came in handy.
0: Code school. Yeah. How many people can say they went to code, <laughs> code school, school, Jim?
1: Yeah, yeah, no. And it's, it's like, fun. wait, what is and, code and school? And if you if you had been to code school, then we don't really need to talk about it because we right. both know what we what we well, learned, sure, we sure. both understood.
0: It's also it sounds so nerdy. Like, yeah. Oh no, I went to code you. It school. really
1: it was. If you think <laughs> about it, these were, these were. Primarily slide rule geeks that, you know, were into into and I'm sure m- mathematics. And have think. to be
0: super smart in yeah. order to understand well, I, all of Well, I don't want
1: to put myself in that category, I would. but it was I would. it was uh, it was it was good training. It was very interesting.
0: I bet. I bet. Yeah. So, how long are you in Alaska?
1: Two and a half years. Was that long enough? That was plenty long enough. Okay. And by then, frankly, my. Uh, passion for the intelligence business and the air force had dissipated mm. um i say there's probably nothing worse than being an intelligence officer in peacetime it's pretty boring <laughs> i mean it's you know i mean it's like being it's a, a it's like being a meteorologist in hawaii i mean right. you know how dramatic can right. the weather be so that and and frankly the issues with personnel and and uh, the agency just was breaking my back. You're just kind of done? And I was done. And I had worked for too many military officers that stayed. By then I was sneaking up on 10 years. Mm-hmm. And they just, they should have quit. Instead, they hung on for an additional 10. They were miserable people yeah. to work with. It's not good. And I thought, and I remember calling my father and saying, Dad, I'm, I'm thinking about letting it all go. What did he say? And he said, "Whatever you think." Good. And uh, Good. so, what did you do? So I was married at the time, and we went from Anchorage. We had a motor home. Mm-hmm. I was too young to be retired, mm-hmm. and was too proud to say I was unemployed. Mm-hmm. So uh, we said we were independent, which is kind of a great expression yes and we traveled around the country in a motor home for nine months
0: wow and this is wife number one this
1: was wife number one we i mean we went from seattle to idaho to southern california back up here to medford we ended up going out to yellowstone down to texas up the mississippi into canada out the to the canadian maritime which was beautiful down the eastern seaboard as far as Florida, looped through the south, and ended up back in Texas, which is where my parents were.
0: Wow. Just, and then just a vagabond.
1: said, oh, my gosh, I've got to maybe go to work somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Medford was the only civilian community that I ever knew. I had a couple of uncles here in mm-hmm. the timber business.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is, when they, is this the 80s? This
1: would have been 1978 or 79.
0: Okay. So timber's huge at that right. point right now. Called
1: them, and they were interested in selling their business, retiring, and okay. I was interested in maybe buying it. Okay. So the terms were, I'll work for you for a year, and at the end of a year, we'll make a decision. Hmm. Now, an old military kid, not being raised in Oregon, I didn't know a fir tree from a rock. <laughs> and I sure as hell couldn't figure out why a two by four uh-huh. really isn't two by four. It's not two inches by four inches, but a sheet of plywood really is four feet by eight feet. Well, I said, who was in charge of this deal? <laughs> and I and I fought it. I mean, I couldn't wrap my arms around it. Okay. Make a long story short, the Timber thing was not my cup of tea. Mm. I went to a gentleman named Jim Ragland, who has since died, very dear friend of my family. And as a friend, and I asked Jim, I said, you know, I've got all this intelligence background in Asia. Mm-hmm. And here I am in Medford, Oregon. What do you think I could do? And what I really wanted to do was go to work for the newspaper as an investigative reporter. I knew how to cultivate sources and gather information and be discreet yeah so a a gentleman named eric allen was the editor of the mail tribune at the time and i went to eric who was a family friend and said what do you think and he said no way so i went back to jim raglan and said you know i'm not going to be able to go to work for the newspaper Mm -hmm. and jim said why don't you be a stockbroker and i said what he said, yeah, why don't you be a stockbroker? I said, I have no math, no economics, no finance, no banking, no training, no education whatsoever in that right. field. That was 1979, 1980. He said, here are the books, sit down, study, take the test. I passed the test, and that's what I did for the next 37 years of my life.
0: Here? Or did here you in have Medford, yeah. Stockbroker.
1: Stockbroker, investment executive, financial consultant, wealth management advisor, all, you're, this, all you're the same telling job. Telling people
0: what to do with their money.
1: Suggesting, yes.
0: Suggesting. Wow.
1: And oh, it was wow. a great career,
0: a yeah. fabulous career. Yeah.
1: Great fun. Did
0: you have a firm?
1: I had a firm, worked for Shearson. I worked for Payne Webber originally, then I moved to Shearson. Shearson morphed itself into what is now Morgan Stanley.
0: Okay. Look
1: at you. Yeah, and had a team. At the end, I had a team of six other advisors that we put together as a team. Great career. Great people. Got to meet fabulously mm-hmm. interesting people uh, all over the country. Um, traveled a lot. Um, it, it was it was just great. It and was,
0: you've seen so many changes with the stock market in 30 years. Oh,
1: ups and downs. Yeah. Good times, bad times. <laughs> yeah. And when it's bad, it's, it's bad. really bad. It's, real it's bad. really bad. It's, it's real hard bad. to call mom. Mm. Say, Mom, this is your son, Jim. I'm sorry, I don't have a son, Jim. Goodbye. You know, not quite that bad. But it was it was hard to, you know, talk to mom when she was losing money in the stock market.
0: Well, yeah. But everybody was losing money. Everybody was. Right.
1: Big Snow never mind. Well, I am. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care whether you are or not. I am. Right. So right. that was where the...
0: When was it really bad? When when have you seen it the worst?
1: 84 was bad. 87 was when there was a big, ugly disaster in October of 87. Mm -hmm. Uh, The early 90s were tough years. Mm -hmm. Things got pretty healthy in the 90s. 2000, as I recall, was a one I think was tough. Yeah. I'd have to go back and look at charts. It, it kind of blurs. Well,
0: I remember we bought our first house, I want to say, in 2003. And then maybe a couple years after that, just, yeah. it was bad. It was yeah. really bad. No. And there's nothing, I think I don't think there's anything worse that makes your heart fall into your gut than when you look at money that you've yeah. lost. Absolutely. And a staggering amount of money that you've lost. I know my parents have always said, you know, drilled in me, 401k, 401k, 401k. Absolutely, yeah. And at 22, my first real job, I'm doing the 401k thing, and it's hard. It's it's great when you see your you know quarterly report. And yep. You're like, oh, this is how much money. I have easy. so far. And then you look at how much money you've lost. And I, I don't know. I don't have. I don't have no. any tangible. No. I can't. It's, touch only on right. it's only on paper. It's only on paper. Is that that's your advice? That's our
1: advice. It's only on paper. Shh.
0: It's be, okay. Be it's patient.
1: Okay. You right. know, call yeah. back in a couple of years. It'll be. It'll be healthy. Right. You've got time in your favor. You're so, young.
0: So let's let's give a little <laughs> advice then as a stockbroker for more than 30 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, how critical is a 401K in, in your 20s?
1: Paramount. Paramount. Mm-hmm. There are charts that can be found, and I'll say this wrong, but the example's apropos. If you save money from age 20 to age 30, okay, okay. and set it aside— And never save any more money, never contribute any more money from age 30 to age 60. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Okay. And you take the second individual who starts at age 30 and contributes every year. Instead of 10 years, 20 to 30, they contribute for 30 years from age 30 to age 60. Okay. Who has more money in the end?
0: I'm going to say person number two.
1: Person number one. Dang it. Because money compounds itself over time.
0: So, should I stop contributing? No. No. <laughs> you should
1: continue. You should have done it earlier.
0: Right. Well, how early?
1: First job you got.
0: Okay, so I'm good. I started it at 22. 22. Super. You're fine, Shelby. Okay. Um, again, we're getting yeah. ready for the noon show. Um, okay, so then I'm good. I'm in good Absolutely. shape. Absolutely. Okay.
1: So, start early, stay the course. Okay. Month in, month out.
0: Okay. Now, also, I've heard as you gain you know you you, uh, you're getting a raise you should contribute a little bit more absolutely okay man I'm doing good yeah I'm doing real good so
1: the the, you know if you get a hundred dollar a month raise Mm -hmm. then peel off 50 and increase your contribution to the 401k right take 25 of the remaining 50 and do something important and take 25 of the additional money and Right. Waste it. Buy, the, buy good wine. Okay. That is not <laughs> wasting you, it. No, no.
0: What is the biggest mistake people make with their money? Uh,
1: getting emotional mm. about it. Um, I My used, husband
0: says they're just numbers on a piece of paper, like what you just I said. I was
1: just going to say, mm-hmm. I used to teach for SOU and adult ed, and I would go to the board, and I'd write the number 3 and then beside it i'd write the number 8 and i'd say immediately you make a judgment that 8 is better than 3 and i said these are just symbols mm-hmm. on the board mm-hmm. when you get your statement they're just numbers on a piece of paper yeah they don't represent they represent wealth but they're not wealth per se wealth is your family and your animals and your friends Mm, and your how you feel about yourself so you know we what happens is we watch the numbers go from eight down to three and we panic and we get emotional and we get anxious and I understand that I'm not making light of that but by and large time does cure all ills
0: right well be patient I look at my first job after college um I made so little I could apply and qualify for food stamps Okay. um, to the point where you are watching your numbers go down because you're paying bills and you're trying to have fun. You're 23 years old, right? Um, And then at the very end, before that paycheck, the last few days, you're having to put groceries on a credit card because you just, you ain't got any money. And as my mama says, you can't get blood from a turnip. Nope. So that's... That's great, but when you're 23 years old, you're thinking yeah. to yourself, I have to survive. It's tough.
1: You cut back on the good wine. I know. <laughs> and I did not learn that. <laughs> I know. You can't, Most of us didn't. You can't go out on Friday no, and drink no, beer no, because you no. don't have you the money for can't it. can't drink water. Right. No. Yes. Yeah, so, doesn't work.
0: But I, I have learned that, and I think looking back and the, the struggles that I went through as a young 20, that's Absolutely. made me more financially sound i think as a older adult
1: patience and and just doing it like clockwork
0: Mm
1: -hmm. so i
0: think we have to wrap up but i think i think you need to come back so we can talk finances oh you know but here's here's why because i feel like we do kids these days we do these 19 year olds and 20 year olds a disservice by not teaching them how to budget
1: absolutely i mean you think the hard way uh, yeah uh, the young folks that are coming out of school in debt. I mean, or, crazy
0: student debt. Yeah. Crazy. Or
1: they go out and buy a big pickup truck and finance it mm-hmm. and it depreciates and they don't like it and they try to sell it and they're underwater right. and they don't, they can't quite figure out how, how come I lost so much money on this right. deal. Right. No, no,
0: I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned um, early and I don't think, you know, when parents try their hardest to teach their children about finances, yeah. but we're not listening to no, them. No, no. Because no. if you have a server job and you come home with fifty dollars in tips, guess where that's going? Yeah, yeah. To the bar, that. right? Um, but yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of mistakes that that people still are making. Absolutely. Like, like adults, not just. Oh no. Right. And and
1: I would suggest that a lot of it is emotion.
0: Emotion. Okay, we got to take emotion out of our our money. Yeah. Sounds like. Um, fascinating, Jim Maddox. Fascinating. Really quickly before we get to the final three, let's talk about your community involvement because okay. you do sit on some boards currently. I
1: do. I've been very involved in community boards since arriving which here. Which boards in right now? Currently yeah. I'm on the Humane Society board, which Yay. I'm very proud of. We love third so uh, third time on that board and yes. I'm delighted to be involved with them. We love Humane Society. Uh, I'm on the Red Cross chapter and regional boards Mm -hmm. uh, for the American Red Cross That's a very interesting organization to deal with Um, I do some board development training uh, under the auspices of the Gordon Elwood Foundation okay Uh, that is very satisfying board training Mm -hmm. how to be a a good board member and how to have an effective board Mm. so that is training Um, I think that's pretty much it I've been involved with uh, the Holly restoration efforts here, nice. but in de- in years past, it ranges far and wide. I mean, I I can I don't think there are many organizations that I haven't mm. touched in one way. My claim to fame, however, was that I was chairman of the Ugly Dog Contest during the Medford Bicentennial, and that Fantastic. was that was the best involvement.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> There's no such thing as an ugly dog, in my yeah, opinion. No. Um, well. Before we get to the final three, thank you for your service. You're, thank you very much.
1: And I thank you for
0: your contribution just to our community. Yeah,
1: it's great to be here.
0: It's it's great to have people who love it so much that they do yeah, contribute. Yeah. Okay, uh, best advice you've ever been given?
1: Boy, I thought about that. My parents instilled in me a simple bit that says, listen. You learn far more from listening than speaking. And I learned that at an early age, uh, that it, in a social setting, to listen, yeah. I don't need to step to the forefront. I'll learn a hell of a lot more by listening.
0: Do you think that played a huge role in your career as Yeah, if you think about
1: it, well, if you think about it, you've probably have figured it out in interviews that you do. The, the strongest weapon is silence. Mm-hmm. Because it becomes uncomfortable and somebody wants to fill in that void.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: So if I don't say anything, you're going to say something and I will listen.
0: Yeah. Silence is is huge. Yeah. Very impactful, especially yes. in journalism. What else you got? What other best advice you got? What
1: else did you ask me?
0: Well, is oh. that, is, do you have other best uh, no, advice? I think I think that's, that's the, the best, best? advice. Okay. And it came from my parents. I love it
1: listen more than you speak
0: it's excellent advice um, if you ever left this place medford and you have some good you've been all over um, if you ever left this place southern oregon what would you miss the most what would bring you back here
1: boy i think it's the passion the community has it causes events that occur um, i mean the 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 people we get to deal with in southern oregon i say you know we're from a little town in a little state that's pretty obscure Okay, but the community people that we get to interact with, one, they're fascinating, but boy, do they rise to the occasion, whether it's a disaster, a fire event, raising money for a charity, a good cause. You know, you think of things like Mount Ashland or school projects that come up where, you know, the community just comes comes powerfully into the mix.
0: Hugely, and there's so many examples here yeah. of
1: that. Oh, yeah, And that's that's the draw.
0: Yeah. Okay. Final meal and final drink.
1: Ooh. Final meal. Uh, My wife Linda and I were recently in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. We had a beautiful dinner at a restaurant, and I had ahi tartare, which was heavenly.
0: I bet. So
1: I would start with ahi tartare and maybe a pinot gris wine, Mm -hmm. and then... My wife is vegetarian. Okay. Linda's vegetarian. So every once in a while, I get to have a nice steak okay. that I really relish. So I would have a nice steak mm-hmm. and maybe a bold Pinot Noir, or a, you know, cab, Something red, red wine, and, yeah. and bold, yeah. powerful. Okay. And then um, I thought about dessert.
0: Yeah, oh, of course. absolutely has
1: to be carrot cake carrot cake carrot cake carrot cake for dessert really <laughs> would be my choice okay. i think and uh you know and uh, glass we were we traveled to portugal a few years ago and i think port wine to go with the mm. carrot cake would just round out the evening. You're the only <laughs>
0: person in 79 episodes who has said carrot cake. Carrot cake. A lot of people leave out dessert, actually. They don't say, oh, no. they don't bring gotta, up the dessert. Gotta have dessert. Right. And if
1: you think about it, you probably should eat dessert first.
0: Yeah. You do whatever you want. Yeah it's your final meal in
1: all aspects of your life eat dessert first
0: (laughs) I love it Jim Maddox you've been so much fun will you come back on and talk I would be delighted
1: to Trish thank you very much I've enjoyed this
0: thank you if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it please subscribe rate and review it helps other people find us we're also on Google Play and Stitcher check out the video portion at ktvl.com just click on features and then off script one more time Jim Maddox happily retired with a capital R thank you for being here
1: thank you Trish very much